You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Robert R. McCammon is the author of more than 20 books, from Ball in 1978 to his latest uh, novella, I Travel by Night, in 2013. He's the author of The Wolf's Hour, Stinger, Swan Song, Blue Blood, Mine, Boy's Life, Gone South, Speaks the Nightbird, The Queen of Bedlam, Mr. Slaughter, The Five, The Hunter in the Woods, and The Providence Rider. Thank you for joining me, Robert. Pleased to be here. Thank you for having me. I guess you go by Rick. I do go by Rick, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, I'd like you to take us back to the 1970s when you first uh, decided okay. to write horror fiction. Uh, what made you take that turn and use the supernatural and the fantastic to uh, tackle the kinds of characters and themes you wanted to tackle? Great question, of course. But, you know, I, I think I've always been interested in the supernatural for whatever reason. Um, I remember uh, being interested in ghost stories as a, as a kid. I remember going to the library and getting books of ghost stories. And, uh, and of course, in the South, you know, you've got the, a lot of strange, let's put it that way, lore about small towns and, and, and such. And, you know, I, I don't really know. I, I, don't really, I can't really pinpoint exactly why. But, but it just appeals to me for whatever reason. It's just worked out. I mean, I, you know, I've done historical work, too, but also the historical work is a little, you know, I wanted the historical work to be a little strange, too, a little creepy also. But, you know, it's, it's a very difficult question to answer. It's just, it's just kind of what I like. You know, it's, it's what I've liked to read and what I, what I enjoy reading. I also enjoy reading science fiction. But I did enjoy reading supernatural fiction and uh, horror fiction, and so um, that's what I enjoy doing. Tell us a little bit about um, uh, your decision to write Bald. Was your first uh, work in this genre uh, a full, out, straight-out novel? Did you say, I'm going to write a full book? Well, uh, I, was, I was working at a uh, newspaper here in Birmingham, and um, I was working on a copy desk. And basically I was doing, you know, um, I was editing other people's stories, and I was writing headlines and stuff. And, and I had some ideas for some feature stories that I wanted to do. And basically I was told at that newspaper that if I, if I didn't come up through the ranks as a reporter, I would never be allowed to write a story for that paper. So, I, so it was a dead-end job. <clears throat> so I said, you know, i got to do something, uh, something different. And I'd, I'd written short stories when I was a kid, and I'd, you know, I'd, I'd done some stuff. So I, I thought, well, try a book. You know, try a book. Just try. And that was the first book I'd ever tried. I, you know, I don't really have any trunk novels. That was it. And it just the idea just appealed to me about the Antichrist. The idea uh, appealed to me. So I started the book, and lo and behold, it came out to be a, a finished book, and, it, and that's how it happened. Anyway, it was a dead-end job, and it was like, I've got to do something, <laughs> I've got to, do something to get out of this. And, and there it was. Now, did you sell that to Avon Books first? Yes, was it? Avon, right. And, and then I guess eventually it was reprinted. The copy I remember getting was a, a Sphere book from the U.K. Uh, yeah, from the U.K., right, right. Well, you know, it's always amazed me, too, that, that my work is, uh, is everywhere. I mean, it's published all over the world in so many different languages. And that's always amazed me, too, that, that uh, you know, I can be here in Birmingham and, and touch people all over the world. That's, that's kind of an added benefit to being a writer. 
Now, uh, one of my most most favorite books I remember reading early on was The Night Boat. And this oh, is yeah. this is a really <laughs> fun book. One of the things I think that makes your books so uh, involving is that they're, they are creepy, a little bit creepy. They, they have some great characters going through them. But there's a sense of fun that we have reading your books, that you're well, having fun so. and we have fun. I hope so. You know, I hope that comes through because I always think – you know, I never work with an outline, and I always think the way I feel about a book is the way the reader is going to feel about it. So, uh, you know, I try to have fun doing it and try to put, you know, uh, I understand that they're creepy and strange or whatever, but I do try to put an element of fun in there just for myself, and hopefully that translates to the reader also. I also remember really the vivid reading experience of They Thirst, which was, a, I think, one of the earliest big-scale vampire invasion novels I've ever read and still one yeah. of the best and most memorable. That was all set in Los Angeles. Did you come to Los Angeles to write that? I did. I came that? to Los Angeles. I did my research there. Um, and, uh, you know, I wanted uh, – it was first set in Chicago, actually. Uh, and, and I thought, you know what, I need a bigger canvas than this. It was set in Chicago during the winter. And I, I thought, I need a bigger canvas than this, so where would be a bigger canvas? And I thought, well, you know, got to be Los Angeles, got to be that, that area. Uh, so, so that's how that happened, yeah. And uh, also, I think in, in that book, uh, we see uh, your interest in monsters. I mean, oh, on yeah. one hand, uh, vampires, you know, you've had some kind of human, uh, human-esque, humanoid kind yeah. of uh, uh, antagonist, but I really like the kind of the monsterific version of the vampires <laughs> that you have in that book. Oh, good. good, good. Well, you know, it's, it's hard to come up with an original vampire, a sort of original vampire, and, and, uh, and, and, stay, and stay true to the tradition of the vampire, you know, which I really like. I like the traditional vampire, but I wanted to, to, to do a little bit of a different spin on that also. And now with um, Mystery Walk, you took a, uh, an interesting tack. So tell us about... Um, going for that kind of this is i think a novel that speaks more to where you lived and where you were brought yeah. up oh yes oh yes well you know um um the the deal is uh i remember my my grandfather i was raised by my grandparents and i remember my grandfather uh we had a big huge orchard uh in the in the back uh field in the back of our house and he rented that field out one summer to a traveling evangelist and this evangelist, and I, I guess I was probably eight or nine years old at the time, this, eva- this evangelist set up the tent, you know, and he had tent meetings out there in the, in the field. And, and at night he would get on the microphone and I could hear the sound and the people, you know, applauding and shouting and, and all that. And that really stuck with me. So I wanted to use that somewhere, that feeling uh, somewhere in a, in a book. And I guess just the idea of the, the Indian, the young Indian uh, young man and... Um, and that the evangelism uh, kind of coincided with that one, and uh, and but yeah, that was that's purely a southern uh, southern theme novel, I think. But I remember that vividly that that tent and that that uh, that evangelist in the back in the back an evangelist in the backyard, if you if you uh, believe that. Boy, that's pretty wild. That's, yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. Every night, every night, I could hear that. And that went on. It went on for about a month. That's a really great setting. Um, now, when you got Mystery Walk published, that was another Avon book. I, I think this is about the time I, you were starting to work with the Dark Harvest, or when did the Dark Harvest book you start know, I, coming I out? I don't really remember the exact date. Um, you know, I don't really remember, actually. <laughs> do, you, do you know, was it, and something I have to ask, was there ever a Dark Harvest version of Stinger? 
I, I don't think so. Okay, good. Well, I, I don't have... think so. Well, well, bear in mind now that, uh, and, and when I say I don't remember, I don't. You know, bear, bear in mind that I have done so much work, and, and I, I, you know, my hat is off to other writers who can remember uh, chapter and verse of all their books and all their characters. And but it, it's interesting that that you know I, I'm always so focused on the on the new book that I'm doing mm-hmm. that that becomes everything. So when somebody comes up to me and says, you know, that your character there, how did you do the? <laughs> I think I, I can't. I can can't really remember that character you know i can't remember that you know what that was about so so please bear that in mind as you as you ask me these things yeah I, I remember the books of course i remember the characters but but the details some of the details of the characters have have gone away because i'm so focused now on always on the new book well, we'll i want to get to the new book because okay. i totally love it um, now, but uh, on our journey there, uh, yes. I wanted to talk about another book that I thought was totally memorable, and, and another okay. book where you use Nazis to their best uh, thing, okay. which is The Wolf's Hour. Yeah, The Wolf's Hour. Now, uh, you have a, a newer book out, uh, The Hunter in the yes. Woods, which includes some sequels to that. Right. Uh, talk about creating this great character, because I actually totally is loved one him. Of my, it's, well, that's actually one of my favorite books, because I, you know, I... Um, I had it in mind, you know, they, the publishers were, were searching for somebody to take up uh, the James Bond series. And, uh, you know, I would have loved to have done that. I wasn't in the running to do that, but I would have loved to have, to have done that, I guess. I don't know. You know, once you get locked into a character like that, you're, you're locked in. But that was kind of my take on the, the James Bond series. Also, I'm, I'm a real, uh, I'm, I'm very interested in military history, so those two interests kind of came together, and I'm very proud of that book. I think the writing is, is good in that book. The writing is up there. So that's really one of my favorite books. It's really atmospheric. I love all the parts set in Russia. I thought they were, I can still go back and visit those those houses in my mind. It's as if I'd kind of been there on vacation. Well, isn't that good? I mean, that's, that, that's what I, I'm hoping to do. You know, I'm hoping to paint the paint the picture so vividly that you can walk into the picture. That's you know, I've 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 started books. And I've worked on books. I think there are two, maybe two or three books that I started on that I didn't finish because I didn't like them. And and always, always, they they did not present that three the, the three dimensions that I need. I, you know, I was working on these books, working on them, and and they just didn't come to life. So so what I'm trying to do is really take the reader into these into these scenes and, and hopefully you will feel that you are there you know and and so that's that's really what i'm trying to do um one of your more recent characters and you've been uh writing this as a series uh is began with speaks uh the nightbird so speaks the nightbird, yeah. so talk yeah. about uh creating matthew corbett and these historical kind of uh uh mysteries with uh edges of the fantastic in yeah them. right well uh, they're they're um I went to see, and the movie's not very good, but I was a kid, of course, you know, I got to your neighborhood theater when I was a kid, and I went to see a Hammer film called, uh, I think it's called Night Creatures, and it, it's set in the colonial era, and it's got, you know, it's not really a very good movie, but still it's got that feeling, that colonial feeling. I also was a big fan of the the Dr. Sin series, uh, and it was the, the Scarecrow series. Um, so, you know, I wanted to do, and I, I love history, I love colonial history, I love American history, so... I wanted to do something different, you know. I, I felt like I'd, I felt like I kind of covered all the bases in terms of, of horror fiction. Uh, you know, I'd done the ghost and the werewolf and and, and you know, just about everything. So I thought, you know, I wanted to do something totally different, uh, and so that's kind of where that came from. And I, I, and I actually it wasn't going to it wasn't going to be a series. It was just going to be a one shot book. And then later on, I thought, you know what, I can really 
carry this on and make it a series because I really enjoyed the character and I wanted to see the character grow. I wanted to, him to move to New York, New York, and go from there. So the whole thing kind of developed not as a not as a series, but it was going to be a one shot one shot deal. But I'm glad it I'm glad it did. I mean, because I really really enjoyed doing it. But let, let me let me uh, go back to one thing that you you mentioned real quickly: uh, the Hunter from the Woods. You know, I had so much fun doing the Hunter from the Woods. It was so fun to go back and revisit that character. And I usually don't like to do sequels, you know. And I don't I don't really think this is a sequel per se because they're all different new stories. But I had such a good time doing that. I mean, I really had fun doing that. And I hope that shows through in that in that book because all those stories I wanted all those stories to be to be different. Uh, you know, the thing about writing a, uh, about a, a werewolf who's a who's a hero like this is, you know, you always have the the opt the, the opt out of at the end making him turn into the wolf and destroy everybody, and you know, and that's that's it. You know, so you can get into a pattern of doing that. I did not want to do that. So I I think in one of the stories, I think one of the stories he never is becomes a wolf. I don't think of the sea chase. But anyway, I I wanted it not to be predictable in that way because you can fall into predictability. That's one problem about doing a sequel to to, to uh, a sequel per se to that series is that you know you're always expecting him to get out of trouble or get out of a dangerous predicament by turning into the wolf. You know. So, so that's what I was trying to avoid. Well, one of the things, I, I just love the way that, that that character is really, really a lot of fun. And a I lot think of fun that, for me, yeah. <laughs> well, fun <laughs> for the readers, too. And, and I think what's interesting is that you, uh, you mentioned uh, James Bond, and I think this really captures uh, a supernatural kind of version of James Bond. Well, I think that's great. That's really what I wanted to do. Uh, I, I love that series and, and uh, read the series as a kid, and uh, and really that's what I wanted to s- sort of emulate. Now, you have a, another book that came out recently uh, from Subterranean Press called The Five, the Five, which is your rock and roll horror novel. Talk yeah. about writing a rock and roll horror novel. Are, are you a musician yourself? I am, yeah. I play keyboards, and I have a, uh, actually a music studio in, in my place. But, you know, I, I, I this idea just came to me, and the idea of, of, of a song that this band would write in a, a communal song that would have implications for the future and that and that this supernatural entity would use uh, uh, this Iraq veteran to stop them from writing the song because because of the implications of the song going on into the future and I thought the power of music you know what what is the power of music um, actually I was sitting in a California pizza kitchen uh, and I heard bittersweet symphony by the verve and that song spoke to me and I was listening to the song, and and I started thinking about the song, and it and it really started me thinking about uh, the the plot of the five. So, and I thought about also how music speaks to individual people, and the power of music, and I wanted to capture that. So, you know, I, I really think the five is is the best book I've ever done, and and I I just I poured my heart into that book, and and um, I really enjoyed doing that, and uh, so so yeah, I was I was I'm very very proud of that book. Well, it's really has a lot of uh, uh, again, like the uh, the Wolf's Hour and the Hunter in the Woods. It has that rich feel to it, where you can really enter that world. Now, y- you say you uh, kind of this uh, story came to you kind of in a couple pieces. I'd like you to just take us through your a little bit of your process. Uh, you don't do outlines. Um, no, don't do outlines. Right. So you, but you sit down. Do you just uh, do you just do one continual revision till you're done? Well, I have I have you know the the opening. And then I have uh, like a, like signpost scenes. Uh, there'll be a scene like 
uh, more toward the middle, and then the, a scene in the middle, and then toward the as, as you go. These are scenes that I know need to be in the book. Now, I don't know actually how I'm going to get from one place to another, um, and so it's it's a little more probably more stressful than than having an outline. But you know, I did try to write with an outline at one point, and and I, I'm not disparaging people who write with an outline. That that's excellent because that's the way they do it. But but I just I got bored with it because uh, I had I read the book. I mean, the outline was me reading the book. So when I'm writing, it's really for me. You know, I'm writing really for me for my entertainment and enlightenment. And so I want I really don't kind of want to know exactly what's going to happen. You know, I, I want to connect these signpost scenes. But just writing from an outline is, is I would just say, you know, I've already read the book when I do the outline, so what's the point of doing the book? So, I, you know, that's just the way I do it. But um, it's just sort of, I have to say, it's just kind of going forward on faith that you're going to be able to connect these things. And, I mean, I, I, there's some situations where I've not been able to connect and some situations where it's like, oh, this is really hard. Maybe I should have done an outline, but, but that's just not the way I work. And I've always worked like I've always worked that way. And the first book I did was was not an outline. It just was an idea, and you just you just go with it, and you just see where it goes, and it just leads you somewhere. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, it will lead you somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, one of the things that uh, I really like about all your books are your characters, and, and I'm wondering, as a writer, uh, when you uh, create these characters. Uh, from uh, Matthew Gallatin to uh, the protagonist, uh, the the evil god of Baal. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. And, and so, talk about creating these characters, and then um, who seem realistic, but yet their lives are tinged with the fantastic. Ex- uh, using that to ex- externalize um, things that you want to talk about. Well, you know, it's a it's a mystery to me. A lot of this is a mystery, and a lot of it is mystic. I don't really understand a lot of this. You know, like I say, it's a lot of it is on faith, and a lot of it is uh, what you understand of human nature, what you've taken in through your life, your childhood, and and um, it's what you've observed about people, uh, happiness, sadness. You know, what you want to express about people, your opinion of your opinion of of, of good and evil. You know, I, it's it's very difficult to explain that. I mean, like I say, it's just you just kind of go and 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 um, you know, uh, a, a lot of my characters, I think even even uh, the evil characters have some sort of maybe maybe um, heartbreak or heartrending something in their in their characters. Or um, you know, I think there's a scene in Swan Song where the the evil the evil force. Is offered an apple. I think I remember this. From the Swan offers the evil force an apple, and the evil force almost takes the apple because the evil force knows how far it's fallen from grace. So it thinks if it could take that apple, accept that apple from Swan, it could move maybe out of where it is. But but then it would disturb the balance of the universe. So when that starts to happen. Uh, you know, it's like the, the the balance of the universe is disturbed; it almost comes comes apart. So it, it can't happen. But you know, um, creating characters it's it's a mystery to me. I mean, how do you how do you? I don't know. You just go you just go with your instinct about about people, uh, about what you want to express, and again about what you've observed about people and what you've observed about life. One of the things I think that I was so interesting to me about your career as a writer is 
you know, the way that you came of age, as it were, during the, this great horror boom we had during yeah. the 1980s, oh, yeah. when yeah. there's so much great fiction being published, and a lot of it was in this mass market paperback format. And, and it was so much fun to go pick up something like the Wolf's Hour with these kind of you know, like little bit cheesy covers, and then get oh, yeah. really oh, involved. Oh, don't go into the covers, please, because <laughs> you know they they were cheesy covers. When you say little bit cheesy, they were very cheesy covers. And you know that was one of the biggest fights I had is going around and around trying to uh, to get the covers uh, better than I thought they were. You know, the art director was always saying, "Well, we need the scarish color. We need this, that, and the other." And I remember meeting the art director at one um, at one company, and and I always thought, you know, oh, this is the most garish cover. It's hideous. When I met the art director, like he was wearing like a you know a pink shirt, like you know uh, a purple pants, and and you know some a, a wild colored coat. And I thought, okay, I understand now why he likes these particular colors. <laughs> you know, but anyway, that was one of my that was one of my ongoing fights against those covers. Uh, talk a little bit about your experience as a writer during the 80s and then kind of watching that dry up, which is, I thought, oh, really yeah. a shame. I know, I know. Well, it was a great time. You know, it was a great time because you felt like you, felt like you could do anything. You felt, like you, could, uh, you felt like you were encouraged to do different things. And, you know, you felt there was a community also. You know, you might not get together with your, with your peers that often, but you, but you did know your peers, and, you, you know, you, it was great. So... You know, the feeling to me, of course, and of course now there are not nearly as many publishers as there used to be, and I, and I've seen many great publishing houses fold and go away, which is very sad to me. Uh, I will say that I used to go to New York and, and make the run of bookstores in New York, and uh, and, and uh, most of the bookstores that I used to go to in New York are, are closed, which is, you know, horrible, I think. But it was a great time. Now I think publishers have taken on the Hollywood model or mindset of everything needs to be a blockbuster. You know, everything needs to be just this out-of-the-gate blockbuster. There's no room for, there's not a room for, not a lot of room for experimentation. There's not a lot, there's no room for failure, you know. So that puts a lot of extra pressure on the writer. But also, you know, a lot of experimental work probably can't, can't find its home. But also, too, a lot of stuff, not everything has to be a blockbuster. Some stuff can just be great and good and fun. And I think well, that that's, that's, right. a, a, that's a, the real yeah. loss is the mid-list, what was used to be called the mid-list, and it was somewhat disparaging. But I think there was a lot of great writing that went on in there and, and great reading for us well, readers. Well, yeah, see, I always thought, I always thought that the mid-list, uh, even though it was disparaged in, in a way, the mid-list sort of was the heart of it. You know, the mid-list really was the heart of publishing. Because there were there were so many writers there, there were so many really really good ideas, and for whatever reason they weren't promoted that that much. But you know the big names were promoted, that's fine. But there were so many great writers in the mid list, uh, and but it was disparaged. But I thought you know with, with the with the with the uh, erosion of the mid list, I think publishing has taken a big hit, uh, and I, I'm sorry to see that go. Your latest uh, novel, or novella, as it were, is called I Travel by Night, and you say you don't want to write series, but I'm certainly hoping uh, we're going to see more of this guy, because I really love this, and this seems extremely well-suited for a lot of series, a long series. Yeah, well, well, I kind of left it open. You know, I wanted it to be sort of a phantasmagoric, almost nightmarish experience for him, and, and it's an, sort of an ongoing nightmare experience for, for, this, for Trevor Lawson. But you know, I kind of left it open. I, I left it with 
with a hope, you know, at the end that he can he can do what he needs to do. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, I have some ideas for continuing the series on. So we'll see. Well, so now, I got a lot on my plate. I mean, I'm working now right now on the next Matthew book, mm-hmm. uh, and I got another book that I'm working on, uh, and a, a sort of science fiction horror novel. Oh, that's good because I was going to mention I, I loved Stinger. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Well, this is this is a. Uh, well, it's it's different. It's different. It's a bigger book, you know. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I realize when I look back, I've written so many big books. Mm-hmm. But probably the next Matthew book is probably not going to be as big because some of those I've written so many big, thick books. You know, it's like you look at those books and you say, "Did I really do that? Did I really write on? You know, did I really write on?" But the, the, then that's worth the story. You know, you write you write to the story. I mean, you write to what the story uh, needs. You know. And so that's what that's what I've been doing. Uh, but you know, like I say, I'm I'm proud of what I've done. But I'm amazed. I'm actually amazed at what I've done too. I really I'm amazed at what I've done because you, you really, when you look back at what you've done and, and see what you've done, it's it's amazing. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't look back. Maybe I shouldn't look back because that that's kind of strange. But but it is uh, incredible to me that I've had a long as long a career as I've had, and that I've done the work I've done. Well, I really like it, and and I think one of the things that's really nice now is that uh, Subterranean Press is is going through a very painstaking process of bringing us all your uh, you know your catalog yeah. into some really nice editions, and that oh, must be fun beautiful. for you to see that happen. Well, they do beautiful books, and and you see that the deal is like I say, I went around and around with some of the publishers about covers and about the presentation of the book, you know, and I think the presentation of the book is very important. You know, you say you can't judge a book by its cover. That's true, but sometimes the cover gets in the way of the book. And so I'm so pleased with the way Subterranean Press uh, appreciates my work and is presenting the work. They're presenting it with such uh, elegance, I think. Uh, and, and they're doing interior uh, art. It's fantastic. The, the interior art in uh, uh, Providence Rider is some of the best I've ever seen. And also the five. That interior art in the five is just magnificent, I think. So uh, I'm, I'm just so pleased with Subterranean Press, so glad they're doing this, and, and uh, I'm just glad to be working with them. Well, let's talk a little bit more about I Travel by Night, because okay. what you have here is a, a, a vampire gunslinger, essentially. Right. He's a traveling detective. He's something like the equalizer for the uh, 19th century. Yes, and also also it's based sort of on a series that I used to watch when I was a kid called Have Gun, Will Travel. I loved Have Gun, Will Travel. I remember and, that when I was a kid, too. And he, that's right. He had the card with, the, I think, the chess uh, piece the chess, on it. Yeah, exactly. I think it was the knight. I think yeah. it was the chess mm-hmm. piece of the knight. And, uh, and so, you know, I love that series, and I thought, yeah, maybe I could do something with that. You know, he's in his hotel. He, stayed, he lives in a hotel in San Francisco, and Trevor Lawson lives in a hotel in New Orleans. So I thought, yeah, let's do something with that, you know. So, um, yeah, there are a lot of there are a lot of ways to go with it. So it's an exciting character, and I, I do think there, are, I do think there's more ahead for him. Well, uh, tell us a little bit about the new Matthew Corbett novel. Uh, Matthew Corbett novel is uh, he. Well, I will, I will put it this way: uh, Matthew is uh, on a trip up uh, the River of Souls in the Carolina Colony into a haunted swamp on the track of three runaway slaves who are accused of murder. Uh, and a mob, he's with a mob, he's following these, these slaves. But in the mob is the, is the person who really, did, who really is the murderer. And so Matthew is tasked with finding out who the murderer is, the real killer is, as they go into this 
uh, supposedly haunted swamp. And it's and it's a very harrowing trip. I mean, it's a very very rough trip. Uh, the book ends with a big cliffhanger. So um, so yeah, that's what I'm doing now. I'm almost I'm I'm hopefully I'll be done with it in about a month, I believe. Talk about uh, creating in prose some of these great southern locations and historical locations. Do you do a lot of research and use a lot of, like, I guess, uh, visual aids? Do you, like, look at prints of, of from that time? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I have, you know, I have uh, books um, about the language uh, as, as much as we can understand what the language was. I'd love to go to Williamsburg. I, I, when I went when I did uh, Speaks of Nightbird, I did my first research in Williamsburg, and I went to uh, actually the place in Williamsburg where they have uh, all diaries and documents uh, from that era. And as I was in there, uh, as I was sitting there doing my research, I looked around, and, and just about everybody in there was in costume. And there were all the people, you know, who, who actually are in costume and work in Williamsburg, and they were in there researching their characters also. So, so yeah, I do a lot of research, and... and um, and I, I have big, thick notebooks full of research. I mean, really, um, you know. But but then again, I don't want it to be a strict, I don't want it to be a history lesson. I mean, I want it to be fun. I don't want it to be like, oh, okay, you know, this is a dry, dull history lesson. No, it is not. You know, I want it to be exciting. I want it to be uh, uh, sexy. I want it to be wicked. I want it to be funny. I want it to be exciting. Uh, some you know, violence in it, uh, a, little, a little strangeness in it uh, with Professor Fell and some of that going on. So I, and I want it to I want it to be totally original, which I think it is. I think it's totally original to me. Uh, but again, I did not want it to be a strict history lesson. Yet I have to know the history. You know, I don't. I have to know a lot more than what I put down in the, what I put down right down in the book. Uh, so so yeah, I do have to do a lot of research. You ought to see my notebooks. I mean, they're they're huge. They're big thick notebooks. Tell us a little bit about your forthcoming science fiction horror. No. Uh, well, I, you know, I've done a, a little bit on that, and I, I put it aside because I'm not quite ready to finish it. I'm not quite ready to go on it. It's, it's going to need some more uh, thinking through. Um, I can't really tell you a whole lot about it because <laughs> I, I just don't feel right about talking about, mm. you know, books that far in the future, you know. But I think it's going to be an exciting book and, and, and very, uh, very good, and I'm not quite sure how big it's going to be, but it, it, it has a, a large-scale book. A lot going on, so I'm excited about that, and and I'm going to get to it here pretty soon. Who, what science fiction authors did you read uh, oh. as you grew up? Oh, well, you know, I have a big, huge collection of science fiction pulp novels and uh, of the the magazines of that of that era of '60s, '50s, well, actually '40s, '50s, '60s, '70s, analog, fantastic, amazing, all those uh, galaxy, um, worlds of if, all those. Oh uh, well, uh, oh, let me just say, let me just put out, throw out some names. I mean, the first name would be Ray Bradbury, and I don't know if you consider him science fiction or not, but he's a, he's one of I think one of the greatest writers. A bo- um, boy's life is, is, has a, a yeah, great. Yeah, it does. Absolutely, it does. Sure. Uh, you know, Harlan Ellison. Um, oh, who else? I, I, you know, I, I tons of people. Uh, James Blish. Um, John Bruner. I mean, just tons of people that, that I read, and I and I still read those at night. I mean, it is, as I'm about to go to bed, I read those at night because because you know. But it's interesting to me that uh, many of the many of the books that I have now that I read at night could never be published now, just for the reason that they're not blockbusters. You know, they're they're quiet stories. They're they're quiet, well constructed, well crafted, meaningful stories that would never be published today. Uh, because they're just not blockbusters, and that's sad to me. 
because they're kind of like like antiques. Uh, but to me, there's to me they're they're worth their worth much more than their weight in gold. Talk a little bit about. Do you think that uh, electronic publishing offers uh, you some options that you know the mass market paperbacks of their day did? Well, you know, I, for me, the jury is out on that. Now, uh, so far, I've done pretty well with ebooks, but you know, I love ebooks. The idea of of, of having your Nook or Kindle, and you got three or hundred or five hundred books on there, however many however many you got. But you know, I, I have to say, I mean, I love the book. I love the book. I love the physical book. I love the, the feel of the physical book. I love the smell of the physical book. I love the idea that you you have something that has a little weight. To me, the jury is still out on ebooks because you know it's somewhat more. It can be more about the tech, the technology, than about the book. And it's like you know you're you're on a we're kind of on in a constant um, cycle now of upgrading these e-readers. Uh, upgrading these e-readers, so so you know how far is that going to go? It's going to go on and on and on, upgrading, upgrading, upgrading e-readers, and so uh, you know I think the potential is fantastic there. Uh, I think the potential is a ways off, but we'll see. I mean, it's 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 we'll see. Well, it's interesting to think about uh, books themselves as a as a form of technology. The form of the book is it's five hundred years old or so, and it's well, doing just right. fine. It still works just I mean, as good right. as it did that's back right. in the illuminated Bibles. Exactly right. I mean, it is a form of technology, but yet you know you you can certainly argue that that people on a plane uh, you know want to want to be able to have you know maybe thirty books with them, and they don't want to have to have to be carrying thirty books with them on vacation. You know, as long as people are reading. As long as people are reading, that's great. Uh, the deal is that there are so many, um, like I say, there there there's so there's so uh, many publishers have gone out of business, and I, I you know I'm you know, I, as a and as a writer that stresses me up greatly, of course. But as long as people are reading, and you know, I think there's so many different forms of entertainment now that pull people from reading. To me, reading is one of the greatest experiences you can have when you really get into a book. When you really get into the characters, into the story, and and you, you, read, you read a little bit maybe every night, and then you go back to it, and you go back to it, and and to me, when I was a kid, I remember reading a book, and and when it ended, it was, it was sad to me, because I did not want it to end, and so I had a feeling of sadness, of of loss, that I would never see these characters again, I would never read this story again for the first time. And I always wanted to do that in my work too. I wanted to make it that when you when you read my book and you and you finished it, you had a little sadness uh, because you were going to miss the characters and you were going to miss the story. Uh, so that's what I've always wanted to do. But my feeling is, you know, e-readers, books, whatever. As long as people are reading, as long as they're reading and enjoying uh, the work, then that's great. Uh, as far as um, as where the technology is going. I mean, who knows? Who knows, really? Well, we'll keep enjoying your books, and especially Thank in you. these delightful uh, subterranean press editions. They're so much they, fun yes. to hold and read and have. They do. I mean, really. I, I don't think, uh, you know, uh, speaking of the, well, Hunter from the Woods and the Five, I don't think a better job could have been done by any publisher on Earth. I mean, really. Those those. Those two books in particular, well, Wolfsour too. I mean, really, all of them. Like I say, the interior art's so great. The paper's great. It, they're they're meant to they're meant to remain 
on your shelf and stay there uh, for you for a lifetime. And, uh, and that's taken out the, again and reread too. And, and reread and reread. That's one of the things that bothered me about about the mass market paperback. Is you know I, I think it's great, and the mass market paperback reaches, of course, a lot of readers. But I always felt like I was working, and you know I was I was hopefully doing work that was going to last for a long time. But yet the format is not going to last. I mean you know these these paperback books are not going to last very long, and so that disturbed me. I always wanted to feel like my work was in hardcover and my work was. Uh, appreciated in that in that way. I've been speaking with Rick McCammon. His new book is "I Travel by Night," coming forthcoming from Subterranean Press. Thank you for joining me, Rick. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciated it. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.